0: Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lippman and Pastor Trey Graham. We
1: do welcome you to this week's podcast. It's always a privilege to gather together with our friends and study the Word of God. Rabbi Lippman, hello my friend. How is the family?
2: Thank you, Pastor. Thank God. Everyone's doing really well.
1: Let's turn our attention to this week's Torah portion called Parashah in Hebrew, Jews have been gathering to read the Word of God together, the first five books of Moses, every Shabbat for thousands of years. And last week we began the book of Deuteronomy. We told you that the name in English is Deuteronomy. It comes from the Greek deuteronomos, the second law. And the title is Devarim in Hebrew. And this week we come to the latter part of chapter 3, and then chapters 4, 5, 6, and part of 7, officially Deuteronomy three twenty three to seven eleven, Which leads me to ask you again, Rabbi, why do these breaks occur at seemingly different locations than the chapter divisions?
2: Yeah, so we actually have two different faiths that are working at the same time here. Uh, the portion breaks are Jewish in origin, and the chapter breaks are actually Christian in origin. Uh, We didn't have chapters uh, within the Jewish faith. It was just the portions. And once it became so widespread and they were related to with these chapters, we accepted it just for cross-reference purposes so that the two of us can have our podcast and talk about chapter 3, verse 23, and know what we're both talking about. Uh, But when it came to the actual Torah itself, uh, it was broken up into portions, uh, but not into chapters. And that's a, a later development that actually came from the Christian
1: community. So we do jump into the middle of a chapter. It's Deuteronomy 3, verse 23. And in English, Moses is speaking, and he says, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time. And so Vaet hanan means, and I pleaded, or and I begged, or and I asked of the Lord. And what Moses is doing here is going back to the Lord to say, I know because of my sin and the punishment for my past disobedience, You made a decree that I would not get to enter the promised land. The next generation would, but I would not. And yet Moses, longing to be in the land, he comes back again and asks one more time, may I go into the land? And so we get the name, Va'et Hanan, and I pleaded or and I begged. So Rabbi, before we even get into the specifics of that, what is your idea here about asking the Lord again? Like, we can change his mind. What do you think about asking and praying for the same thing repeatedly?
2: We believe in the power of prayer. Uh, We have a teaching in the Talmud that even if a sword is up against a person's neck, never stop praying. Uh, We know that certainly when, God forbid, people are are ill, uh, we pray until the very last moment, even when things look very bleak and and, uh, not hopeful. Uh, We don't know the ways of God, and we don't know what could possibly turn the tide and perhaps change a decree uh, from the negative to the positive. And in this case, Moses, uh, this is not even a strategy. This is just an outpouring of, he knows the people of Israel are about to enter the land. All he wants is to cross into that land, fulfill some of the commandments that are specific to the land of Israel, gain the spiritual benefits of them. And the word of Etchanan is not the normal word for prayer. Uh, It's a a beseeching, it's a pleading. So uh, we don't believe that when it comes to interacting with God that you just ask one time and then you just move on. But uh, there has to be a real uh, feeling of communication, and we don't know uh, what could save the day. So we believe in continuous prayer, an ongoing prayer, and uh, hoping that uh, at some point perhaps that prayer uh, could work. In this particular case, uh, it does reach a point where God tells Moses no more. Uh, And in that case, then you know at that point you have to pull back. But until that happens, which doesn't certainly happen to any of us, uh, there's no such thing as too much prayer, and there's no such thing as anything wrong Uh, with going back to God over and over for the things that we need and want, especially in this case of Moses, where it was for a spiritual desire.
1: I think that those of us in the Christian faith would agree with what you just said. In the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, the phrase is, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. So, in both of those New Testament verses, it would agree with what you just said that it is a sign of relationship, that you have an ongoing conversation with the Heavenly Father. And so, Moses here longs to enter the Promised Land. He goes back to the Lord to ask again, May I enter the land? He says in verse 25, Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough, speak to me no more of this matter. So Moses is telling the people, because of our collective sin as a people, not just my individual sin, the Lord said, No, I made a decree, and I will not change my mind.
2: That's correct. And he's very, very specific uh, in the terminologies that he uses. Uh, when he tells Moses to stop. In fact, there are some who actually make a connection uh, in chapter 3, verse 26, when God says to him, it's enough, he says the words, uh, which means it's enough already, basically. Uh, way back in, this, in, in the book of Numbers, when we had the rebellion of the Korach and his cohorts against Moses, at a certain point, Moses loses it a little bit and says to them, Rav Lachem, the same terminology, enough already of you. And there are some commentaries who say that God actually chose that terminology for Moses to realize he is a person who has flaws. Yes, he's the greatest teacher of all time and the holiest human being of all time, but he had flaws also. He lost it. He's a human being, and now this is it's God uh, who's calling the shots over here. Uh, and Moses had to to hear that, to understand, uh, yes, he's special. Yes, he wants God to hear his prayer, uh, but even for Moses, there's a limit. Uh, he's a human being, as we saw by his losing his cool earlier. And God uses that same terminology here and literally says to him, "Do not speak to me anymore
1: about this." The very next verse, Deuteronomy 3:27, God does give Moses a special privilege. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and north and south and east and see it with your eyes, comma, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. So Moses doesn't get to enter the land, but he gets to see the land, a special gift, I think, from the Lord in his mercy.
2: Absolutely. And the commentaries talk about the fact that to gain from the spiritual dimension of the land of Israel, uh, just seeing it uh, can accomplish that. Uh, just you know, Moses wanted some kind of a spiritual benefit. Okay, so God said you can look. You'll gain whatever you can gain from seeing it. And again, he wasn't just looking to see the beautiful mountains or any other views or the physical side. There's a spiritual reality that's there, which Moses was able to gain uh, just by looking at it.
1: Let's continue moving on into chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. And remember, we named this the second law or the, we described it as the repeated sermons and teachings of Moses as the people are preparing to enter the land. And so he says in chapter four, verse one, now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform in order that you may live and go in and take possession of the land, which the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. And we'll talk about verse 2 in a second, but Rabbi, we often quote another chapter later in this portion, Deuteronomy 6, and talk about Shema, the verb in Hebrew that means to listen or hear, but we have it right here in chapter 4, verse 1. This is also a Shema, listen to the statutes and the judgments of God.
2: Absolutely, and it's not the uh, famous Shema that we recite as part of regular prayers, uh, but it's certainly God... Uh, Moses telling the people, this is what you need to do. And and here's the key point. Our survival in the land of Israel is conditional on this. And Moses is saying, you need to hear me. You need to listen to this. This is a wonderful land that you're going to, but if you really want to inherit it and be able to live long-term in the land that the forefathers have given to you as an inheritance, you must listen to the word of God. That's why that extra word is there, where Moses is just really trying to bring this home to the people.
1: Verse 2 of Deuteronomy 4 is an important instruction for all of us. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor shall you take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And Rabbi, we could do well in America and in Israel today in 2018 if people would stop adding or subtracting to the Bible.
2: That is for sure. Uh, This is a very, very important command um, on both sides. You know, sometimes you can have people who want to be uh super holy. And I know what's best to reach holiness, and that that leads to terrible uh, results and certainly taking away from the Bible. Uh, God says very clearly, you do not take away from what this Bible says. Uh, You don't have the ability uh, to make that decision, and a terrible thing has happened to the people of Israel when when they do so. So uh, you can just feel the passion from Moses pleading with the people as he knows that he's going to pass away to make sure that he properly gives over these traditions and this legacy.
1: In American history, one of the most famous instances of someone violating Deuteronomy 4 verse 2 was done by Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of America, and it became known as the Jefferson Bible. And what Thomas Jefferson did is he took in his own Bible and he cut out things that he didn't believe in or things that he wouldn't accept usually involving the supernatural and he left in moral teachings especially the moral teachings of Jesus about how to love your neighbor or to be honest or kind and so one of the great intellectuals of American history Thomas Jefferson decided he had the right to add or subtract to the Bible in this case subtract and he cut out the portions he wouldn't believe in and it became known as the Jefferson Bible.
2: That's something which uh, is fascinating, first of all. I think that throughout history, I don't have a doubt that individuals have have looked at things in the Bible and said, this works for me, this doesn't work for me. Those Bibles don't continue to be transmitted to future generations. Uh, It doesn't last. The Everlasting Bible is the one where people have not tampered with it and have accepted it uh, fully. Uh, You see that uh, within the Jewish faith. Uh, You see here we are, thousands of years of exile, going around the world, and people still practicing the exact same way uh, as they did before because of this adherence to the law, of not adding to it and not taking away from it.
1: And we don't want to get too far off the track, but this is the reason the Dead Sea Scrolls were so important when they were found in 1947, right before the founding of the modern state in 1948, that the text, the words, the even the alphabet and the letters were exactly similar to modern Hebrew Bibles, and these were from 2,000 years earlier, and it was a a reassurance by God that the Bible you have is trustworthy. And we can get a long story of the Dead Sea Scrolls, but that's one of the reasons they're so important.
2: That's fantastic. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, you know, I've been asked by people sometimes, why is it so meaningful? Why is it on display? And and the way, Pastor, you just said it just, just... It, it, you just nailed it. it. It really, there's always in people's minds a, a questioning or a doubting is this authentic? Is this real? Even, even to people who, who believe in it fully, we're human beings, and, and it has to be some level of, of wondering because we don't have absolute proof to things and then to all of a sudden see scrolls with the letters, the words that we've been holding steadfast to for thousands of years, and to know scientifically and historically how old these scrolls are, uh, it it is such a remarkable source of strength uh, and inspiration to realize that we're on the right path, we're doing what God did command, Uh, everything that we're holding dear to today is authentic.
1: As we continue to move through Deuteronomy chapter 4, we often say in our church, Rabbi, that blessing follows obedience, and that's exactly what it says in chapter 4, verse 4. You who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. So the older generation who was involved in the sin of the golden calf and the disobedience, there is judgment for that. There is blessing for those who are obedient. And Moses is saying to the people, you guys are about to receive a blessing that I am not. This is actually a
2: little bit of a challenge, I think, for, for Moses, because he never lived in that reality of the land of Israel, where things that were conditional. And he uh, is projecting, I think, on a certain level. But we can't forget that Moses did live with consequences. He did have God punish him for something, so he's very aware of, of the aspect of justice that comes from God. And I think that that certainly motivates him in this outpouring of pleading with the people to stay with God, to cling with God, to listen to his teachings. And he says that over and over and over again, you ask yourself, in Deuteronomy, there's a lot more repetition than there is anywhere else in the the five books of Moses, and this is just the outpouring uh, that's coming from Moses, and the passion that he has to make sure that the people understand uh, the challenge that they're about to face.
1: Verses 6 and 7 of Deuteronomy 4 are amazing descriptions of covenant relationship between God and people. First of all, Moses says, keep and do these commandments. Don't just hear them. That's what Shema means, to hear it and obey it. Don't just hear it, but do it. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? One of the Greatest blessings of a covenant walk with God, a relationship with God. And of course, we as Christians believe that's salvation through Jesus. But a close walk with God is that you receive wisdom and understanding that your life demonstrates godliness when you're around God.
2: That's exactly right. We talk about the fact that God is the sun, meaning the, the source of the light. And We're like the moon. We just reflect God's light. The light that we have doesn't come from ourselves. Uh, it comes from walking in the ways of God and, and, and reflecting uh, His light. And that's very much uh, the message over here, uh, the idea that if you want spirituality, uh, as we mentioned before, it doesn't come from your ideas of what spirituality might be. It comes from the source of spirituality, which is God. And, and this, this idea of clinging and walking with God and being with God, and this is something which is everywhere. It's not just in synagogue or church. It's not just when you're sitting and studying the Bible, when you're at work, when you're interacting with people. Everything that you do, uh, you can do while walking with God and and reflecting that light
1: and the danger is the other way to walk away from god or to be self-focused instead of god-focused so verse 9 says of chapter 4 only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life but make them known to your sons and your grandsons so the danger is to become idolatrous and in this case, to worship yourself, or to be so lazy and apathetic about the things of God that you fail to pass them on to the next generations. And that,
2: then the idea of tradition as well, and passing it on, because remember, the people in the desert saw a reality which their children who are born in Israel won't see. And, and they need to be alert to this point, and, and pass that on uh, to the next generation, uh, We know that in general, uh, the transmission of what previous generations have experienced is so critical. Uh, We today, for example, one idea is passing on what happened in the Holocaust, but also on the positive side, there's a whole effort today to tell over what happened in 1948 from people who experienced it. Uh, For me, to hear people who lived here during the Six-Day War, uh, to understand it from uh, from eyewitnesses, uh, this is what Moses is telling them, that they need to be aware of the fact that they've experienced so much Do not forget it and make sure that you transmit it.
1: And now we look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 10, and we get to a very interesting phrase that I get asked a lot as a pastor, and I'd like to give my understanding of the phrase after I ask Rabbi Lippman to explain it. The idea is to fear God. So chapter 4, verse 10 says, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. And this is a troubling phrase, to fear God, to be a God-fearing man or a God-fearing woman. So how do you teach that phrase and the meaning of it?
2: So we view, uh, especially in a verse like this, where it w- we also have a context of love of God and this fear of God. Here, it's it's really awe. We don't want people walking around uh, in fear of every moment God might come in. Then smack me down, and I I might be subject to punishment. We have to be aware of reward and punishment, but it's more an awe of a creator, of a creator who's all-giving, a creator who uh, has given us so much and created the world and all-powerful and all-knowing. That's the way uh, we view it. Um, There are some people who do walk around constantly with the fear. I don't necessarily see that as the most positive way uh, to live, because I don't want to see God... As a, as a punitive, uh, mean type of being, uh, which is somehow what the fear seems to connote, yes, there are consequences for our actions, and that's, and that's, that's, that's truth. But we're talking more in a sense of, of awe. Is that the way it is in the Christian faith, or is there actual uh, living in that trembling fear?
1: I think it's it's a very similar way but it's it's a very solemn reminder. And so I want to read this quote from one author that says, "Fearing God is becoming so acutely aware of his moral purity and omnipotence that one is genuinely afraid to disobey him." Fearing God also includes responding to him in worship, service, trust, obedience, and commitment. And I think it's a beautiful phrase that says if I really believe that God is that much bigger and smarter and more powerful and more holy than I, then I would fear letting him down. I would fear losing a relationship with him. So it's not terror of being punished. I think it's fear of breaking a relationship.
2: Very much so. And and I think that The idea that word you said you use that word now used it before also of relationship is so critical. You're going to see that throughout the book of Deuteronomy as well. The pact, the covenant, uh, one to the other uh, to to view ourselves and how we pray, realizing that we're dealing with a a, with God relationship. It's such a critical. And by the way, in a relationship, a person could be angry, and you could be upset, and you could be confused, and that's okay um, as long as you obviously do so with respect. That's much better. Than cutting off all ties uh, with, in in the case of a human being, another person or in God with God. To cling to God, remain with God, and have all the different elements that come uh, with a relationship.
1: We continue to walk through a very long Torah portion this week. Va et Hanan is the name in Hebrew. And I pleaded coming from Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 23 until chapter 7 verse 11. So we are right now in the latter part of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we just finished talking about this idea of fearing the, uh, the relationship with God being lost because of our sin. And we have a warning against that here in chapter 4. We look at verse 15, and it says, Watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, or Mount Sinai, from the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make a graven image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of an animal or a bird beware lest you lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars and be drawn away and worship them and serve them those which the Lord your God had allotted to all the peoples so what the Lord's saying here is don't try to limit me to something that a human could create don't take the infinite and make it finite and that's the danger that we have we begin to worship in ancient days the sun or the moon or the river or the mountains in a modern day we might worship our own possessions or our money or our ego or our social media profile and what God says is don't begin to worship images and idols and then he says if you do that there's a punishment for that and I find this very interesting, Rabbi. They're not even in the promised land yet. And God says, there's a danger of what's going to happen to you in the promised land if you disobey me. And here's the punishment that is threatened. Deuteronomy 4:27. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And there will be few of you left in number among the nations where the Lord shall drive you. So don't do it. And if you do it, here's what's going to happen to you
2: it It's so difficult for us to understand the draw the drive to idolatry in the classic sense of worshipping a rock and worshipping stone or these pictures or these images It's very difficult for us to understand, and we I think have to uh, figure out what are our modern day idolatries so the things that pull us away from God and his word and this is all part of that condition. Before they even go into the land, they are—they know, they're aware of the fact that if they lapse into idolatry, it's going to lead to exile. And the, the almost incomprehensible is that they did so, that it took a while, but that the people did ultimately fail. And we're going to have later on Deuteronomy where God actually foretells that that will happen, so critical that we learn the lesson of human nature uh, how we get drawn after things that pull us away from God. They were told in advance that will be the consequence that they're coming to the land is conditional, and they still weren't able to uh, cling to uh, the righteous path. Uh, but Moses is certainly doing everything he can uh, to inspire them to do so.
1: So he's speaking about the future. Here in Deuteronomy 4, and there will be a time of restoration. He says from there, verse 29, "...you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, in the latter days you will return to the Lord your God and listen to His voice." So that's talking about the future. Then you get to verse 32 and he starts to look backwards. And he talks about the former days. And it starts with God creating man. He says in verse 33, Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire? Has a God tried to take for himself a nation from uh, within another nation by trials and signs and wonders? So we talk about wonders like the plagues and the pillar of fire and the parting of the Red Sea and the provision of manna. So what God is trying to do is don't disobey me in the future. Protect yourself by looking backwards and remembering my covenant faithfulness of the former days.
2: Absolutely. And, and, and seeing Moses take it back, I think you just made a wonderful, wonderful point, mentioning creation. Uh, that's not something you don't see Moses talking a lot of theology and, and things along those lines. But he's taking them back and he's trying to just instill with them a complete understanding of, of God and how all-encompassing uh, he is. And and even then says, for me, the climax in verse 35, where in chapter 4, verse 35, you have seen that God is the God. There's no one else but him. You, you've, you've been shown this. You've experienced it. He just says it in such clear words. And it goes on to explain what you've seen and what you've experienced. Um, This is, again, Moses is just doing everything. He's pulling out all the stops and and, and just trying to inspire the people.
1: We come to chapter 4, verse 40. So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today, that it may go well with you. That phrase, that it may go well with you, occurs eight different times in the book of Deuteronomy. A call to blessing after obedience and yet we fall down so often and instead choose the path of disobedience.
2: You know, when Moses is saying it's going to be good for you, we have to remember, he, he's not saying uh, you'll have beautiful mansions and you'll have uh, deep bank accounts and you'll have every physical pleasure that you could do. He, he's telling them what they need to have good spiritual lives, good good. Goodness is a connection to God, and he's telling them, you will be happy people. This is what good truly is. You have to trust me, uh, Moses is saying, and he uses that word very, very deliberately. You know, God used that terminology when he created the world. He thought that it was good. Uh, it had godliness. It, it had God's hand all over it. Here, this is what good is, and he's telling the people to trust him. This is what good is, and that the people must follow this commandment, and all these commandments. And again, he emphasizes you'll be able to stay on the land long, you'll be able to be there, the land that God is giving to you. He's giving them all the tools uh, to be able to succeed.
1: As we move into Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'll remind our listeners what we said at the beginning, Deuteronomos, the second law. Here in chapter 5, Moses again gives the people the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the Lord's Command. It originally was given to the people at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, and here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and you have them again. Starting in verse 7 is commandment 1 you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 8, commandment 2 do not make for yourself an idol. Commandment 3 is verse 11 do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Commandment 4 is verse 12 remember or observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 16 is commandment five, honor your father and mother. Verse 17, commandment six, you shall not murder. Commandment seven, verse 18, you shall not commit adultery. Commandment eight, verse 19, you shall not steal. Commandment nine, verse 20, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the final number 10 commandment, verse 21, you shall not covet. And so it is so simple but not easy to walk and live a righteous life if we would live the commandments and yet it had to be necessary for the people to hear it a second time because the fear is they would forget and they would not be obedient. For
2: sure, Moses feels the need, especially for the younger generation who, who weren't standing there at Sinai, to repeat them again. We actually do see a few differences. In what was recorded in the first one, second one, and certainly uh, those who are listening can go back to Exodus and see the differences and, and, and take note of those differences. One of the primary differences is in the command to keep the Sabbath, where over here in verse 12, it says to observe the Sabbath. yom haShabbat. And earlier in Exodus, it said, Remember Zahor at Yom HaShabbat. Remember the Sabbath day. And from here, we actually say in our Friday night prayers, that Moses said both of those words at the same time. Uh, they're just recorded in different ways in the Torah, and the t- two times in the Torah. But there's two elements to the Sabbath. There's remembering the Sabbath. That's the element of using the Sabbath for, for spiritual growth and family time and all the, all the positive things and prayer. And there's also the observing the Sabbath, which is the laws of the resting uh, and, and withholding from work. And there's a few other examples of some of the changes that we have. But by and large, uh, it's the exact same kind uh, Commandments certainly, in terms of what we're required or commanded not to do. And think about the power of these children who weren't there uh, when Sinai happened, but they still get the benefit of hearing it again directly from Moses. You understand the wisdom again here of what Moses is trying to accomplish, so that they can then tell their children, we heard it from Moses, uh, critical uh, for the continuity of the, of the traditions and the transmission of what took place at Sinai.
1: And we could spend a whole podcast, and we should probably do it sometime, Rabbi, talking about the Ten Commandments, but I will give our Christian listeners one lesson, and that is too many people say that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, and that's not a correct phrase. We worship on Sunday morning. We go to church on Sunday morning because it's the day of the resurrection of Jesus. In the New Testament, Sunday is called the Lord's Day or Resurrection Day, and that's why we go to church on Sunday morning, but we didn't make Sunday Sabbath because Sunday's not Sabbath. God made Sabbath to be the seventh day of the week. We don't get to redefine what He defined, so it's not a correct statement when we call it Christian Sabbath. We should call it the day of the Lord, or Resurrection Day, or Sunday morning, or the first day of the week, or all of those phrases, but we shouldn't call it Christian Sabbath because God made Sabbath, and we don't get to change it.
2: Yeah, and certainly uh, you've been here in Israel and you've experienced what the Sabbath is like, and it's uh, a day like no other. Uh, I always tell people, Jewish or not Jewish, uh, I'm not saying you have to keep all the laws the way we keep them. Those are for the Jewish faith. But the notion of taking a day and uh, disconnecting, and a day of spirituality, and a day where literally 24 hours you won't have your cell phone, uh, that is so liberating uh, on so many levels, and certainly uh, spiritually beneficial. So if that's a gift that we can bring to the world, uh, it would be a wonderful thing to know that people are actually trying to do so on their own.
1: Let's move into Deuteronomy chapter 6, a very famous passage often taught in a parenting sermon or a parenting class to teach people what it means to pass the truth of God on to the next generation chapter 6 verse 1 Moses says this is the commandment the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them not just learn them or hear them but do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might there's the phrase again Fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today and all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. So a whole lot of what we've discussed, Rabbi, is contained in those two verses. Chapter six, verse two, in the church world, we often use the phrase multi-generational discipleship. You and your son and your grandson, pass this along, teach them the word of God. There will be blessing that follows from that and that you might learn to fear the Lord and keep His commandments. We'll get into the famous verse 4 in a moment, but Rabbi, how about re- reacting to the phrase, multi-generational discipleship?
2: First of all, I've never heard it before. I love it. If, if it's not patented and it's yours, you should patent it, because <laughs> uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, and boy, does that hit, I mean, that Judaism, that's what it's all about, the whole idea of tradition, of, of parents sitting with their children, of grandparents, I can tell you, uh, I was blessed uh, to have a grandfather, uh, I had two grandfathers who so I was very close to, uh, one who was uh, blessed to be uh, grow up in a religious home, very learned, and whenever we drove to New York uh, to see him, uh, or when he came to Maryland to visit us, uh, I sat with him, and he studied with me, and uh, I don't think I appreciated it at all, uh when it was actually happening, but boy do I appreciate it now to know that I sat with my grandfather and, and that he was teaching me the things that he learned uh uh, and it's, it's an image and it's, it's, it's a feeling that, that inspires me and makes me look forward to being able to do so with, uh, with my grandchildren one day, God willing. And uh, this is a big part of our faith, the transmission from one to the other is actually a commandment to sit and learn with our study with our children. And uh, that's one of the going back to Sabbath for a moment. Sabbath is so important because everyone is able to take a break and that can be a day where that transmission really happens. But the idea that we look back, to our parents and our grandparents, uh, to learn what is right. Uh, something which we, in the world we live in today, where everyone is coming up with new ideas and, and new concepts, and, and we know what's right, uh, instead of looking back and seeing the way things were, uh, that's tragic. Uh, it's, a, it's a tragedy uh, that, that we, we have that disconnect or that somehow modern-day generations think, we know better. Uh, they think because there's technology, and therefore they know better, uh, who is more in touch with themselves, the people who didn't have technology or are the people who do. Uh, so in Jewish faith, uh, and I have to imagine also in the Christian faith, it's, it's, it's a constant push, look back, look back at what they've taught you, and don't think that you can somehow do this on your own. And here's Moses again, telling the people this is your responsibility generation after generation the only way it can happen is with this transmission and thank god we can look back now on a few thousand years and say that while we've certainly lost people along the way uh, that those traditions are still intact
1: and when we teach this passage and similar ideas of multi-generational discipleship and it's not my phrase by the way we often need to remember that there are families who didn't grow up that way and rabbi in church will often say, maybe you were blessed to have a godly mother and father and a godly grandparents who taught you the scriptures. But some of you did not have that blessing. You were raised by parents who were far from God, and you have had a spiritual awakening, a salvation experience in your own life. And now what we say to those people is, start the new cycle. Stop the, if you forgive the phrase, stop the cycle of godlessness And start the cycle of godliness. Don't pass on the distance from God, but start a new pattern in your life. You be the beginning of the new cycle where your children and grandchildren will learn, even if you didn't, about the things of God.
2: And if I could build off that, and now turn to my other grandfather, uh, who did not grow up uh, in a religious home. He passed away uh, at 80 years old with... Grandchildren uh, who are committed to their Jewish faith, Uh, he and my grandmother made a decision at a certain point to become observant, to become religious, and they set into motion generations. Now we're in the stage of the great-grandchildren. They're not here to see it, but uh, physically— but religious, observant, a huge number living in Israel. And that's all from their decision. And uh, they've merited through the power of that superhuman decision uh, to become observant uh, that their three children and their 11 grandchildren and now, thank God, huge numbers of great-grandchildren are following in that path. Uh, So it's never too late. Uh, No one can ever say, uh, well, I, I wasn't born with it, so I can't do it. Uh, it's there inside of people. And uh, again, as someone who has always been observant and religious, uh, far be it from me to say, you can do it, because I, I didn't have that experience. But just from what I've seen and my family's own story, uh, it absolutely uh, is doable. And you can create that chain exactly the way you just said it. Uh, we have, throughout our tradition, some of the greatest rabbis and greatest leaders came from uh, beginnings where there was no education and there was no tradition and they on their own uh, came to it and were able to set to motion uh, the generation after generation of people who are godly and spiritual.
1: Now let's move to that famous verse, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. We'll say it in English first, and then in Hebrew, in English Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. In Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The most powerful and I'm going to let the rabbi teach this, the most important prayer that's said daily in Judaism. And for thousands of years, people have taught their children to not just hear, but to listen and obey the Lord. The Lord is our God. He is the one and only God. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad.
2: These are words that are said at some of the most powerful moments at the very end of the Yom Kippur service. After we've gone through 25 hours of prayers and begging for atonement and confession, reaching great spiritual heights, we proclaim uh, these words uh, together. A very powerful moment. We say it every day, as you said in prayer, we say it before we go to sleep. It's said in some of the prayers on the Sabbath they are inserted, and it's what was said by Jews throughout our history as they went to the slaughter, as they were being murdered. We just commemorated Tisha B'Av, where we talked about all the tragedies that happened throughout our history as Jews were going to be killed for being Jewish. Their last words were Shema Yisrael, that they accept upon themselves what it means to be a Jew, that God is uh, our Lord, and that God is one. Those critical words. And that God is one, uh, many commentaries understand to also mean not just that, of course, God is one, but that God is the only thing. Don't translate it as one, but God is the only thing that matters. There's nothing else. Yes, you live physical lives, and you can enjoy those lives, and you can eat, and you can have relationships, and you can enjoy sports and entertainment and whatever it is that we do, but it's all in the context of spirituality. It's all in the context of God. And that's those critical words, Hashem Echad, God is one.
1: And our Jewish listeners will know this, so I will remind our Christian listeners. Chapter 6, verse 8 says, Bind them as a sign on your hand and frontals on your forehead. And verse 9 says, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so our Jewish friends put the tefillin, the phylactery, the leather strap with the boxes on it, and they have it on their left bicep near their heart and then on their forehead and it has scriptures inside of it, and then you have the mezuzah on the door of your home, and I've been to your home, Rabbi, and of course you have a mezuzah on your front door. Our listeners might not know that there's a mezuzah on the front door of our church and on the front door of my house as well.
2: First of all, I, I, I don't know how I didn't notice that. Maybe you pointed it out to me. I just do remember it about your church. That's beautiful to hear that concept. What a, what a concept that as you just walk into the door of your home, You have those words there, and you have the scripture there, and it reminds you uh, so much about how uh, God is there to protect you, and you have to adhere to what God tells you every morning when I pray. uh, We put it on our arm opposite the heart, and then on our heads to remind ourselves that what we think, and what we feel. Some people say the arm also represents the actions that we do that day, reminding us uh, that we have to do it according to God's commands. And the physical things that we do, both the mezuzah, the doorpost, and the tefillin that we put on, physical actions do have an impact on us. Uh, We're physical human beings, and that's why we do these very physical reminders to keep us on the right path.
1: As we move down in chapter 6, verse 17, Moses says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give your fathers. And then we get to verse 20, and it's back to the idea of multi-generational discipleship. When your son asks you in time to come, what do the testimonies and statutes and judgments mean which the Lord commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out. And it all the way through, it's the rest of the history lesson. So how do we teach our children to trust God tomorrow? We teach them that God was trustworthy yesterday.
2: Absolutely, and this is another theme that you see Moses going through in terms of going backwards and showing the things they've experienced, reminding them to always talk about those historical events uh, to make sure that they reinforce that people have a strong future, this continuity, this idea of, no, it's not just about the future. We have to go back to the past to understand and to be inspired.
1: So we get to the final chapter of this week's long Torah portion, and we get to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I think we need a teaching from the rabbi here. We as non-Jews often speak of the people of Israel as the chosen people. And we get to chapter 7, verse 6, and we read this. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So, Rabbi, a covenant choosing, God selecting the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of all the peoples on the earth. And as we look at that, that could be the cause of arrogance and pride, or it can be the cause for humility and appreciation and worship. So, what does that phrase, a chosen people, mean to you as a Jew yourself?
2: you really brought up a challenge because you're right, it could, it could lead to ego and the term chosen. The way I view it and the way I was always taught is it's responsibility. It's not that we're better. It's not that we're on a higher level. It's that we have a responsibility. We are the ones, and even the way God says it in the verse, in verse 7, uh, not because you're, first of all, numerically greater than everyone else, but you're, you're less than everyone else. Some understand that to also mean humble. There's a humility that has to come, and that's why we have that responsibility to give it over uh, to the people of the world. Our responsibility is to bring spirituality and bring godliness to the world. Uh, that's a privilege for sure, but it's not a privilege because we're so wonderful uh, and just responsibility. and That's the way we have to always
1: look at it. So we come to the... Last verse of this week's Torah portion, 711 of Deuteronomy, and it says the same thing over and over again You shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. You mentioned earlier that Deuteronomy repeats itself a lot. What I often say in church is if people ask you, Why does the Bible repeat itself over and over? I say, You must not have any children. <laughs> so
2: that's, I definitely definitely understand that and and uh you know Moses has had enough experience with these very difficult children and their rebellions and their refusal to listen uh to to be very much in the place of a frustrated parent uh, when talking to the people he he certainly realizes that, you know, maybe some people will hear the message this way, some people will hear the message the other way, uh, but I just have to keep talking and talking and, until I feel uh, that I've really uh, brought them to a place where they will adhere to it. In the end, they do for a while, but even that wasn't enough. But uh, you definitely see uh, Moses repeating himself and this idea of adherence. And one point in that last verse I want to mention, he says, Asher What I'm commanding you today to keep, uh, we have a concept that everybody should look at, uh, when you wake up every day, you should look at it it as if God has commanded you today. It's fresh. Don't look at it as, oh, some revelation happened 3,000 years ago, so now I have to keep it today. But imagine as if God is commanding you today. I'm telling you today, Moses says, for out throughout history. View it as if God is commanding you today, and that will give it a freshness and a newness, and possibly give you what you need to be able to adhere to it.
1: And as we come to the end of today's discussion, Rabbi, you wanted to talk about something in addition to the Torah portion, the parashah, but something called the haftarah, and how that fits into your weekly Sabbath observance.
2: So every Sabbath, aside from reading the weekly portion that we talk about, We also read a section of the Prophets, not from the five books of Moses, but from the Prophets. And this week in particular, uh, it's from Isaiah, where Isaiah says the words, Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, comfort, comfort my nation. This is on the heels of Tisha B'Av. We've just experienced that terrible, terrible day where so much tragedy has taken place, and it can easily... Bring someone down to focus so much on this dark and painful history. But today we say, Nahamu. We said, God gives comfort. God says, uh, This will not last forever. Uh, there will be a time. When you will return to the land of Israel. Uh, I can make anything happen. Uh, I'm God. Uh, look up heavenly, and you'll see that. And the same way I created everything that you see, I can bring you back to your land as well, and things can grow again, and you can have a temple. And uh, that's a comfort which we read for 2,000 years in exile, and certainly today as we return to the land of Israel and we're seeing it's reflourishing and it's rebuilding, not to its fullest yet, but we're on our way Uh, There's no doubt that we can feel that comfort from God and we can be happy and rejoice uh, in in serving God.
1: So, Rabbi, we've covered Deuteronomy chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and a little bit of 7, a lot of text today. Wrap it up for us.
2: Moses wants the people to keep to the traditions. He wants parents to pass it down to their children and to their children, and he's finding every possible way to inspire them. And whenever I see that, I just think to myself, that's our job as well as parents. Uh, It's not one size fits all. We have to find the right way to inspire. Some words might work for some, others for others. We might have to repeat ourselves many times, uh, certainly model by example. uh, But that is the point that he's pounding home, and especially for me, as someone who lives in the land of Israel, reminding ourselves how much our survival and success in living in the land of Israel is dependent on our adherence to the Word of God.
1: Always a pleasure to study the Word of God with you, my friend. Blessings and Shabbat Shalom.
0: Thank you. Blessings to you and look forward to next week. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dov Lippman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.